Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. This is Zach from Puzzling Company. And, uh, you know, I did my intro a little bit different than normal. I thought you were going for like a good morning Vietnam. I thought about doing that. And then I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And then I kind of, I don't know. Okay, Jared, leave me alone. Okay. (laughs) It just took me back to that episode of The Office where Michael tries that. Yes. And it goes over (laughs) very well. Good morning, Vietnam. And then everyone's just dead quiet. Dead quiet. (laughs) Well, just like that, it's going to be dead quiet here. (laughs) But welcome back, guys, to Puzzling Company. Uh, It is Zach like normal, but always with me is... Jared. Jared question mark? (laughs) I mean, there's been a lot of other people that have gone through like name changes. Why can't I be one of them? You know what? I mean, if you want that, that's great. What are you going to change your name to? I think I'm going to make it a puzzle. Well, on that note, um, we're going to be talking about a great company that we actually got to cover three of their games from, um, which is Mad Men and Heroes. Uh, We were able to cover three of the boxes. Um, One was Bullard. Um, which is about Eugene Bullard, if I'm not mistaken. He was a World War One pilot. Um, World War Two. Well, he was World, a World, World War One, yes, but yes. it involves World War One. Yeah, correct. Um, and then we covered a speakeasy, and then the Underground Railroad. Yep. Um, as you can tell by the different names of these games, uh, Mad Men and Heroes is a unique company that covers uh, different puzzle style games in different time periods um, through a series called The Resistance. Correct. Um, which covers different points in history um, and mostly, key, I think they say that they keep it mostly historically correct. They sometimes change it a little bit for the story, but it, but generally it is to teach you a history lesson. Correct. Um, as well as a lesson about being a spy and kind of like what you're trying to do. So we were able to jump through a few different periods of times to learn about some different things. Um, but here in just a little bit, we will be covering the things that we liked as well as the things that we thought could be improved. We'll see you guys in a little bit. Dude, I played the best game last night. Um, Jared, I thought we played all our games together. Well, well, traditionally we do, but this game was designed to be played by yourself. It's called Box One, and it's a new game from Neil Patrick Harris and Theory 11. Jared, I'm hurt. What am I supposed to just believe that there's clearly this made-up story of a game that's meant for only one person, and you couldn't even come up with something more clever than just Box One? Okay, you know what? I'm done. Call me when there's a box, too. Well, if you're not salty and you're looking for a truly awesome single-player experience, head to your local Target to pick up Box 1. If you don't have or know what Target is, beg Angela Lawson-Scott to ship you a copy internationally. Wow. That was such a nice break that I could go to the restroom. I meant for our ad. Um but thank you guys for coming back. Um, we've obviously appreciated all the support through the last few episodes. Um, just wanted to shout that out really quick. Uh, I love all of you. Smile. Um, that's not a sarcastic smile. That's me smiling. Jared can tell you. Did you just like audible emote? I did. Is yes. that what smile. that was? Smile. <laughs> yes. Just so they know, because they can't see my smile, but they can hear me say smile. That's true. That's fair. That's very considerate of you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> so anyways, uh, we're going to be kind of jumping into the things that in this first section, talking about the things that we liked about uh, the games that we played, as well as kind of things that we thought could be improved in kind of a room for improvement section. 
So Jared, I'm actually going to kick it off to you. What was the first thing that we really liked about Mad Men and Heroes? Well, you can't talk about Mad Men and Heroes without what you mentioned in our intros, talking about like the historical, I would call it narrative and puzzling. Yeah. Um, I've, we thoroughly enjoyed that. I love games where, you know, you're not trying to beat me over the head and teach me a full history lesson, but you're, I'm going to learn something like through the game, not in spite of the game, I'm going to learn something. And I felt like that. Like I learned things from each of these games about these different time period and different things that I didn't know before. And I really enjoyed that. And the game did a good job of not being overbearing in its education, but letting the gameplay take the education farther. And I'm, I have to also admit that I thought the puzzle matching to the time periods was very, very appropriate. Mm. But yeah, the narratives were very engaging the positions that we were put in. Um, I thought it was a really well done. If you're talking about in terms of games that are tackling historical perspectives, Mm. what do you think? No, I agree. Uh, it was definitely a blast. I, Thought it was very unique to be kind of given a lesson throughout the game. And then if you want to learn more at the end, the kind of the the conclusion of each of them has like a full story that kind of explains more of what you learned and kind of a recap. Um, but I mean, the masking of a lot of the puzzles with the narrative was very well done. I mean, every it felt like almost every puzzle be. Yeah, I can't think of any, but I think most match the narrative like. Like you get a style puzzle in Underground Railroad that looks like a like a map someone would make quickly to yes. kind of hide, you know, in secret. Or, you know, like it never felt like something was not in its time period. Correct. Bullard was very code breaky. Code breaky, all like kind of postcard, but also like material you would have during like World War One, War Two, like kind of hide it. Um, you know, um speakeasy was a lot of like it newspaper had, yeah, it was like a newspaper vibe. there was like uh, a bunch of bulletins for like a, a restaurant finding out like the the hiddens in it you know gave us uh like cards about each of the people that we potentially be involved with throughout uh, the speakeasy i mean it was it was all very well done so can i kind of go on the next point uh, the other thing we really liked about this game or these games that we played was the unique puzzles there was a lot of unique style puzzles in each of them it never felt like I was doing the same puzzle over again. And every time, like we kind of talked about with the masking, it fit perfectly and felt authentic. Like one of the best examples is when we played Underground Railroad, there is a map you get um, that you're trying to do to get through the woods. And I thought it was one of the mo- one of my favorite like puzzles and how it's unique. Like a puzzle type. Puzzle type. It's yeah. unique, but then also it fits like the style and everything very well. Um, when we played Bullard, there's uh, one that I really enjoyed a lot. And I think Jared said it was his favorite as well. Um, there's one that has a picture of like uh, a part of like the Eiffel tower in the town of it shows kind of Paris or yes. France. Um, and it has like these small boxes all around it that have information and making the connection to a postcard you had and all this kind of jazz. Um, it was very well done. Like it was interesting when I made it out. I was like, wow, that's kind of a cool puzzle. Yeah. I, I was really happy with the puzzle diversity, but also with the types, there were things that we're used to Mm. that we were asked to do more with than usual in a couple of games. Um, Some interesting spins on puzzle. And then just like Zach mentioned, a couple of puzzles that puzzle types that were just good reworkings of standard puzzles. It it was just unique. It, it it really felt nice on a, like from a purely a puzzly standpoint to solve some of these puzzles. 
And I, I will also make note that um, the game, I, I, we all have our expectations before we play a game, but the, the, the games as a whole came off a little bit more challenging than I was anticipating. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, we'll talk about this in our, another section, but there are wide ranging formats and difficulties. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just want to throw that out there, but yeah, from a, if you're a, a, a more of a puzzly person, if that's what you enjoy more in the game, I think this has that component. Mm-hmm. Like I, I really liked it. Like we were even talking about during like when we, especially when we were playing the Bullard game, which was the hardest of the three games that we played by far, mm-hmm. we were like, this has like, you know, uh, Enigma and Porium vibes like coming everywhere. And Zach got really excited by that because he loves that type of stuff, mm-hmm. figuring out some of the harder puzzles. Um, but for all of that, even with the difficulty, the third thing that we really did enjoy was this was a very thorough hint system. And I will also say with that, a good onboarding as well, mm-hmm. um, because it was really funny. We opened up our first, you know, manila envelope, got the game materials and we said, okay, where do we start? But then there was this great little postcard that said, want to know where to start and and got us going. And then when we uh, were looking at the hints after the game, very tiered. Uh, another fun part about them is they all rhyme. All of the hints rhyme. Mm-hmm. And then if you were a hundred percent stuck and you want the final answer, you can get the final answer. Yeah. It would give you like an explanation, but then also had pictures to help explain yes. like some of the ones that you needed to like work out how I would have made it. It was very thorough mm-hmm. on the creator's, uh, part and I really appreciate that uh, especially since I do think this was a little more difficult comparatively to some of the other stuff that we have played True. Uh, just really well thought out all around if you want to uh, get on with yourself if you run a hard puzzle then take it because that's what I feel like the ultimate goal of this is is it has an education slant to it but you're really trying to get across this really unique well-researched story mm. And to play through that story in a very uh, unique and pleasing way was a lot of fun for us. And the hint system played well into that. It wasn't the most masked hint system we've ever seen, right? Like there's some Mm -hmm. other companies that are staging their hint system well, but I haven't seen as many that are as thorough that I think it was like tiered out four times and then you could get the final answer. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so all, all around, um, I, we just really enjoyed our time going through these games, and I think we just all around thought that they were pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Zach, where did you feel like there were um, some bumps or some room for growth? Yeah, um, so the first thing I would say, um, and this is kind of, kind of how we felt specifically, was um, the format change. So these are, they, if you don't know Mad Men Heroes, you get them in boxes. I think they're monthly, right? They're like a subscription. Yeah, it's a subscription, but I think it's like an on, I don't know if it's a box. I think it's an envelope. Okay. Yeah. yeah but, but it is, it is a subscription. Subscription. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you get the different cases. Um, so to tell you how these went, um, one, so we, well, the one we played first was, uh, the board, um, which is the like war one, World war two one. Um, that one is not pure linear. Um, that one is more of like you gather information throughout the game, kind of like a puzzle hunty kind of, and then put it all together to solve it. Yes. They tell you what you're looking for, but you don't know how to like get all that information. You're kind of like solving different puzzles that you could do at any time to get all that information. Correct. Right? Except for the final one, the final one you need to solve everything else. But it kind of felt weird because we were like all over the place, not sure what we really needed to do next. Um, but then when we played underground railroad, that was the second one we played. That one was pure linear. It from which I actually really enjoyed. Um, 
it gave you pure instructions what you had to do first and then there was a there was a digital aspect of the game that made you go in pure linear like it told you exactly what you were doing next and it followed the narrative very well done um, but then when you did um, speakeasy speakeasy did the same thing to a degree um, but it wasn't as purely linear in like one part but it was still like basically told you what you needed to do correct throughout most of the game and it, it just felt really off because when we played bullard i was like okay so it's going to be more like puzzle hunty and then we played but you know like and it took us a little bit to fully get what we were trying to do and then we played underground and i was like okay now we're back to doing like a pure linear this was an interesting change but i like it like they're both good in their own ways but it just felt we like it was a nice change of pace but it felt weird because i just played one and then the next one i played was completely different in style right and that's not to say that we're against format changes because that's one of the things like when we played Scarlet Envelope, we love yeah. the the envelope format changes every single time. Yeah. But it felt like Mad Men and Heroes shined in its linear format and struggled more on its nonlinear format. In these games, yes, I agree. Like and 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 it may have been it may have been the order we've played them in, right? We've talked yeah. about that on past episodes, like the order that you play them in sometimes determine it. But when we went back and kind of worked our way through the game, and this kind of ties into our second uh, critique, if you will, is it feel, it felt like in certain ones, especially Bullard, which was a nonlinear game type, it just needed more signposting. Yeah. Once, once the puzzle material was there, some of it was absolutely more difficult, but it all made sense. Yeah. It was getting the pieces of information to line up to where you could move towards a solve yeah. that in a couple of different spots in a couple of different games felt a little, felt a little bit disjointed mm -hmm. as well as there were some times where it felt like there were multiple avenues to interpret the way to solve. Yes. Um, and it is, so I felt like it just needed to be a little more clean in the flow mm. of these games and man, if it did, these are these are really really rock solid games uh, because the puzzling material was on point. It just needed more guidance in in game guidance apart from the hint system mm -hmm. in a few places. And again, this wasn't the majority of our experiences. It, this was a few isolated exp uh, parts of a couple of games, and then Bullard as a whole felt like it needed just a little more prompting to get you from spot to spot. I think, yeah, I agree. Underground Railroad, as an example, I think did it best. It was smooth. It, it told you exactly what you needed every time, and it felt really smooth in transitioning to each new puzzle and new part of the narrative. And I think uh, Speakeasy could have probably used it a little bit, like a bit, a very tiny a bit, little like bit. A, I mean, it was yeah. pretty, it was pretty linear. It just yes. has like one or two parts where we felt like oh, I'm not sure what we're doing, right? Um, but then, yeah, I mean, I liked how Bullard played because I liked that style, but it felt really off after we played. The, like, like you said, it's that thing of like when you play the other two, you felt like you could see what that one did well, but also was potentially missing. Sure. From the other styles. So, no, I think those were all good points. What was the what was our last uh, room for improvement, Zach? Yeah. So the last thing um, and we felt this was uh, so the thing I'll say is that it was um we we kind of found there was um like some red some red herrings. Um there was one specifically that we really ran into, and that was during I think Bullard. Mm -hmm. But there's just a few items or like specifically in Bullard, there's one puzzle you get that a, well, there's like a lot to it, and it gives you like all these different pieces of it, but then you don't need it all. No, and it's it's feels purposefully 
there to distract you. Yeah. And I will say that when we use the hint system at that point to figure it out, or maybe it was after the game. I can't remember if we took, we didn't, didn't, we didn't use any hints, but we looked afterwards. It it, it said like, Oh, you'll only need part of this. And there's nothing to in game to let you know that that's true. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Cause when we did it, um, I mean, it made sense because I think if I remember correctly in the scenario without spoiling the puzzle, we had taken, you were trying to create an object and you get a bunch of different items. And when you use all of them, the items together, it still makes something. Right. Which seems correct. Like it you can be interpreted as correct. Same same thing with some of that. That's what I'm saying. Like there was, it felt like there was multiple ways of interpretation that could then lead you down a very bad false road. Correct. And same thing with the... Um, the pathway puzzle in uh, underground, Railroad. underground railroad. Yeah. Eventually we figured it out. There's a little bit of trial and error, but I said this a couple episodes ago, just because I love Errol so much. Mm-hmm. It, he wants to make a puzzle where there's only one way to figure it out. And you, there's no like great room for interpretation in there. And again, not a major criticism, but it felt like there was ways that we constructed and thought through things that were like, yeah, this this could be a way of interpreting that makes complete logical sense, but yes. it's clearly not yielding the right answer. Yep. Yeah. But overall, overall, again, like I said, those were um, minor things, just tweaks that we think that we could be made in the game just to make it smoother. Mm-hmm. And once it's smoother, then I think the what the highlight of this game is is good puzzles that drive a really great historical narrative. Then mm-hmm. that shines. And that did anyway. Like, I really enjoyed these stories. I don't think I'll soon forget them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was um, it was a lot of fun. Anything you want to say in closing up our section? No. I'd, much. Uh, I'd, I'd say give it a try. This may be your jam. If you're a history buff, I think it'll only enlighten what uh, is going on in those time periods to put a game around those mm-hmm. circumstances, especially in the framework of these are all people that have resisted something, right? Like the larger yeah. meta narrative of what the series is created around. Mm. But don't worry, our guest today is going to talk a little bit more about that. But hang on, we've got Puzzles to the People coming next. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for Puzzles to the People. Hey, Zach. Jared, I'm not falling for this again. Oh, so what? Now you don't trust me? Correct. I don't trust you. Well, then do I have a game for you? What are you talking about? Floor 13 from CU Adventures. It's the story of a company with too much trust. But I don't trust you. Well, Zach, trust me on this. You need to head on over to cuadventures.com and play Floor 13 or their other game, The Lost Temple, and you will not be disappointed. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are now in the section where we call Puzzles to the People. And today we're diving into more questions I've got for you, Zach, if you can imagine that. (laughs) You always feel like you don't it, but then you find out, wow, these are really engaging questions that I do love giving these answers to. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, I, I actually really enjoyed the discussions every time I used to get, I'll be honest. And then you can tell if you've listened to our older episodes, I used to, I wouldn't say I didn't like them, but the hard part is I felt like I couldn't make good enough answers at the time. So it felt like awkward, at least for me, like trying to answer them sure. while recording. But then as time got on, I, I, just like anything, you get more comfortable, but I also kind of like have gathered more knowledge about the space or at least my own um, experiences that it makes it easier for me to answer them now. So, uh, throw questions at me, Jared. I think I'm ready. And for those of you that don't know, we purposely don't let Zach see these ahead of time. So he can't formulate some masterful answer that sounds 
robotic in nature. I love computer. <laughs> Escape game is fun. <laughs> uh, I love at-home tabletop. <laughs> so your first question is this. Yes. Do you appreciate the use of history in games? I do. Um, I think history is a fun, I mean, just like anything, most things are, well, obviously there are pure fiction style games that create a narrative on their own that do not involve around any historical event or significant significance. Um, but I think some of my favorite games and I, and I'm a kind of a history buff. I like, I like history. I like narrative. I like lore. I like all those types. Anything that I can feel like I can like see a history of a people or a style or is fun to me. Um, but one of the most interesting things about history is like learning about history and taking good things from it. Right. Um, it's the whole lesson of like not repeating history, like Mm. history always repeats itself. Right. So it's being able to take information and learn from it and not repeat failures of the past. So one of the interesting parts is like going through these and learning about resistance, right? It's seeing through hard times and going through a certain person's perspective of resisting through the time. If that's slavery through the underground railroad, um, if it's being a, um, a you know a pilot um, during World War One, World War Two, going against the Nazi regime, you know, um, and then in uh, Speakeasy, it's being uh, <laughs> it's like the other side. It's the other side. It's <laughs> being a person who wants to drink alcohol when it's all um, they illegal. want their freedoms. Correct. It, yeah, it's it's getting your freedoms, and it's it's very interesting to learn more about it. Um, so yeah, I definitely like when history is involved in games. The part that I think is hard to do is that good line of teaching you something, but feeling like it's not a history lesson. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? Like giving, I think giving history and giving a lesson throughout the, the experience or at the end, like an, like an optional thing is great. But I think force feeding me to learn history isn't, it's like you want, it's that thing that's hard in most games. It's getting that interaction or that immersiveness. Like you want me to feel like I'm actually learning history, but not feeling like I'm in class in high school Mm -hmm. or in college, you know, like I'm sitting in Western Civ and I'm watching my professor talk endlessly for an hour and a half about, you know, um, Roman slavery. Cause that's, it's funny enough. That's like the one thing I remember most about Western Civ when I was in college (laughs) was going through that. Well, cause I had to write a paper on it. Um, I made an A, so uh, shout out to me, but, uh, man, that was one of my favorite papers I've ever written. It was, it was good. Um, But that's like, that was cool to me. It's like learning about how that worked. Right. Um, but yeah, I think I think history in at home tabletops can be really cool. But just like anything, there's a balance of finding a good way to interpret it and in, in integrate it into the story in your game and style, but not overuse it to feel like it's right. So it can't. School. So what you're saying is it can't come at the cost of the gameplay. Correct. Right. Like the point of this is uh, enjoyment. Fun, yes. Right. And if you're a learner and you like history, that may amplify it. Yes. If not, then I think you just find yourself in a unique story. Yeah. Uh, For me, history in and of itself is, it's okay. It's not my favorite. Sure. What I really like is things like The Messenger, where you start off in a historical context, and then you use your creative liberties to kind of retell that story. Yeah. I love that type of stuff. No, that's really cool. And I really, really loved that in The Messenger. That's true a little bit here. I want to be clear about the, there's a lot that's true in these games history, but then there is some 
poetic license. Correct. They do being change taken it a here. little bit. Right. But yeah. the, most of what you're learning is accurate. And our guest today is going to talk a little bit more about that. But um, I will say it still comes down to me for the theme or the character of the history. Agreed. Right. Like yeah. if, if, if I'm uh, if I know that I'm looking at all of these different games, I know they're going to be history then I'm going to pick something that I feel like is really, really engaging. Like if there was like a Tesla game, like old Tesla, mm. like the original Tesla, then that seems that's super interesting to me. Yeah, I think the interesting part with games like this, and I think this is the hard part with history style games is I think sometimes newer history is harder to pull off because it is something that we hear more about, obviously, because you, you learn more about like, I, I think some of the things that I really enjoy about history style games is when they're older and it's a history of something that I don't know as well. Right. Like that's what I mean. Like, and obviously this is somewhat fiction, right. Mm. But let's say like Greek gods or like Greek mythology or, um, those style of like historical, like Vikings, Mm-hmm. Like that stuff is really cool to me because it, it, it can be f- somewhat fictional, right? Like they can, but I learn about something that I can't learn easily about, right? Like I can't go back and live that like, well, like, you know, not technically in, in, in time itself, the, a lot of things that, you know, kind of we covered in, in these games are pretty cool, like relative to today. Like they're not that far off, you know, but learning about like 1600s or the, you know, like learning about like 800 AD, you know, all, you know, all those types of things is really unique uh, things I would like a lot, um, mm-hmm. at least personally. Um, but I think in, like I said, in these games specifically, I think they do it well, but I think in other games it's, it's hard. Yeah. I, I can totally see where you're coming from on that. And I want to transition into a little bit more of a, of a difficult question. Okay. Because, um, now I want to preface by saying I think Mad Men and Heroes did a great job of this. Okay. But when you start messing with history, especially within the context of some of the games that we played, there's more than, you know, playing some fantasy made-up game. There's the opportunity to potentially ruffle people's feathers and mm-hmm. like uh so what are your thoughts on that? Like sh- do we need to be careful with the themes that we choose? And I'll preface it like this. Like I've seen a lot of uh, Titanic escape rooms. Yes. Uh, But that was a tragedy, Zach. Yes. Like, so in your estimation, how, how do we go about talking about that? Like, is it okay to put that into a game? Is it, uh, is it making light of it or is it okay to put it into a game if maybe we're learning something from it? Like, how do you, how do we think about that? That's really hard. I think, uh, cause I mean, that question was brought up when we played some of these and I, and I mean that in a very, like not in a bad way, but it was a question that I, I wondered, especially with like underground railroad sure. and, and even more like you could say the, the war two themed, right. Especially cause imagine it. I mean, obviously you know, your history and you have your own point of view of looking at it, depending on where you are in the world. Right. Correct. Um, you know, if you're, uh, it, this is a this is a hard subject for people, but if you're World War, you know, if you're more tuned, you were German, you're <laughs> you had a very different viewpoint than the Americans, and you know, like, um, so looking back at history is interesting when you have different perspectives. So yeah, you can ruffle feathers depending on what you say and what you do, um, but I think the hard part, I think the hard part is that doing that well, and I think th- they did it pretty well, um, but yeah, I think with certain subjects you just have to be really careful because you can make 
depending on how you word it or what you are presenting, it can come off really bad. Yes. Um, like you said, like Titanic is a good example. I think um, it, it sometimes is making light of it. Um, but I think most things that I've seen Titanic based that I've played personally, if it's a game or a movie, they do a good job of making it like very clear that they're like, it was not good. Like it was not a, <laughs> that was a very bad day in history. And a lot of unfortunate things happened obviously because of that, you know, right. lots of deaths and everything else. Um, and I think that's the interesting part with like, I like when we played underground railroad, that was the first thing I was worried about. I just, you know, from an American point of view, like slavery in the U S um, is a very interesting topic, uh, you know, in the last few hundred years and it, you know, and some of it unfortunately is still, you know, kind of around today, uh, in terms of the, the conversations that come from it. Um, but, um, it, it it's whenever we first read it, I was like, okay, this is going to be interesting to see how they, they ward this and how yeah. I, how I'm playing as a, as a, a slave trying to get freed. Right. And it's your path um, through the Underground Railroad and kind of the puzzles. Um, it, I was a little worried that it was going to be worded a little weird, you sure. know, because, you know, you put one word, you put one bad phrasing in there and it, it could offend a lot of people. Absolutely. Right? And to me, it comes down to tone. Yes. And, and that's hard because you, like, we talk about games are meant to be enjoyable mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, help us escape, right? Like help us forget. But sometimes, and I will say this because uh, we live in Tennessee. One of my favorite museums to go to is uh, the MOK Museum in Memphis. Mm -hmm. And while I enjoy my time there, the subject matter is not often palatable. It's hard. Yes, It's very, very difficult material to go through. But it's still a really well done museum. Agreed. It's yes. still like the exhibits are engaging and make you think. So am I supposed to write that off now that that's the format of my education is in a game? I don't think so. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what I appreciate a lot about the historical narrative here is the tone. When we played uh, Bullard, it was not taken lightly when we played Underground Railroad, it was not taken lightly. Even when we did Speakeasy, which is kind of the opposite light of the side of the law, it still wasn't taken lightly, right? It's a little bit more of like a light. I mean, it's taken a little bit lighter because of the subject matter. Sure. And specifically Speakeasy, of course. Um, but it's like you said, it's different. The style is that you're in the 1920s. It's kind of a little bit more of a fun atmosphere. Or 19, I think it's 1920s, right? Um, but um, the difference is that you are, uh, yeah, you are still that manner of you're doing something you're resisting what is the law at the time and there is a tone of like you're doing something still technically wrong sure and how you're being sneaky about it and trying to you know acquire getting into the speakeasy on that absolutely stuff. and we're uh, we're not trying to open up like a political conversation oh, no here. i don't i don't la- want to do that that's <laughs> the last thing we are trying to do no, but i do think it is important conversation to have when you are dealing with any type of historical context how you approach that matters. Agreed. Uh, regardless, is you know erring on the side of carefulness and research, yes, which uh, our again our guest is going to talk about that. These are highly researched games, mm-hmm. and but I, I again I don't want to shy away from talking about the subject matter that is in these games, and it even makes me think about some of the other games that we play that draw from historical 
things, places, Agreed. events, yes. um, but develop, you know, 95% of their own narrative. It's, it's a very interesting world when you start jumping into that. Uh, same thing with, like I mentioned earlier with the messenger, like that is not a great, I'm not going to spoil what the story is. That's not a great part of American history on a lot Agreed. of different levels. Yeah. Um, but they made a fantastic narrative yes. around it. Oh yeah. Um, and I felt like I learned something. I think that's key. Like I walked away from these games, enjoying them one and having learned something about them too. Mm. So, and again, subjective, some people may feel differently about this and that's totally okay. We're not here to discuss viewpoints, just games. Yep. Yep. Uh, Zach, is there anything else? I'm going to throw it over to you for a little bit. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about as we, cause you're again, you're more of the narrative guy mm-hmm. of the two of us. Is there any other point that you wanted to bring up? That's important as we think about the industry, as we think about these type of games, it's an important point to discuss. Um, nothing off the top of my head. Um, I will say that I really was um, surprised how well the historical part was used in this game. And I think it really taught me that other companies could do it just as well or potentially do it different and better, right, in its own ways. Um, I think they're, I think Mad Men Heroes um, should be, I, I mean, I, you should almost praise them to a degree for what they did. Because in my opinion, I think they, it, they did it really well. And I think that's pretty impressive for a company to go out and on a limb and try to do something that could be, um, could be interpreted a lot of different ways. Correct. It could yes. come off really bad if if not done well, and they clearly did very well to do it where it doesn't come off in a bad way. Um, so I, it's something that I think other creators can learn from is like sometimes taking the risk and putting a lot of effort into researching maybe even topics that are harder to go over yeah. and finding a good like way to present it can be really fun. Like you said, um, we've seen in other games like finding a, a hard subject but then changing it to work with you, right? Um, You know, um, and this isn't the same thing, but I found that, you know, I think a lot of companies are getting better at creating narratives that make you feel more involved. Mm. And that's like a really fun thing to go through. Or at least if they don't make you involved, they make you feel like you're the person that's involved. Like like one of the best examples we talked about a long time ago was in Runes of Odin. Like when you get the letters, um, you know, that between like, um, the son and, you know, the mom and the dad, like, you know, like realizing those moments, like that's a good moment. It's very impactful. Very impactful. The history lessons you learn in these pretty impactful depending on what, you know, and like I said, the the great part is they offer more if you want to learn more. That's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up because they do, they offer this as a starting point and then you can go as far down the rabbit hole as you want to. Yeah, every conclusion came with like a, an extra page worth of a material. Some of it was a, like a summary. But, I mean, if you wanted to learn more, you could. And that was really cool. Like I said, it never felt like I was forced to learn it. It felt like I learned a little bit along the way. And at the end, if I really wanted to learn more, I easily could. I think that's a great place to leave this conversation. Yep. Uh, Hang with us. We've got questions for creators coming up next. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. Jared, 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 Jared. I found this really cool box outside. Can we please, 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 can we open it? Are you out of your mind? Look what it says on the box. It literally reads root of all evil. There's no way we're opening this box. Oh, come on, Jared. What's the worst that can happen? What's the worst? Have you ever seen a horror movie? 
listen, you don't split up your team. The basement is not a good hiding place. You don't give cute little creatures water. And above all, you don't open the mysterious and creepy box with the word evil on it. Please, Jared. No. But if you're listening and you have more guts than me, you should actually head over to crackinutmysteries.com and pick up a copy of Root of All Evil. Um, Jared, I think I need to tell you something. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. In this section that we call Questions for Creators, we do just that. We have a creator of the game that we've just talked about on to talk about really a number of different things, who they are, where they came from, how do they go about making these experiences? Because if you're out there and you've never made one, these are a labor of love. If you're a listener that makes them, you know the story all too well. But what we really love to present is the unique perspectives that people are coming at their creation process for. And today's creator has been around since early on in in the subscription game. And she'll tell you all about that. But I don't want to give away too much. We'll let her introduce herself and let's jump right in. So tell us your name, a little bit about yourself apart from the games that you made and how this came into existence. Well, my name is Tracy Nicholas and the company's Mad Men and Heroes. Um, We have two storylines. The first is called The Resistance and the second is called The Craft. And we'll get a little bit more into what all that's about later. Um, me personally, I am born and bred Chicagoan. Um, I've lived in the area my whole life. Uh, I'm in a town just north of Chicago now, and that's where the company's based. Um, and my early career, I uh, was a stage manager uh, and was in theater for a good 15 years. Um, and then I went on to go back and get my master's in strategic organizational change. Uh, so I'm a big fan of strategy and process improvement, that kind of thing, um, which weirdly did is part of why I so enjoy designing the games. Um, and then I morphed into a game designer, and that's what I've been doing for the past five years. Tracy, you were one of the early adopters of puzzle games by mail back in around 2017. What was the landscape of companies like when you first started? What else were you seeing around you? Well, I think at that time, there were kind of two flavors. There was really, really expensive and not great, you know, Um, I'm not sure if that was the most polite way to say it, but, you know, there there were games that, you know, had one puzzle in them in the lower price range, you know, and the, the more expensive ones, they were great. They were fun. They were, you know, interesting. They were immersive. Um, I did feel like back then there was more, you know, hey, you're going to have to go out and do a bunch of research to play this game, which didn't really appeal to me because I feel like, you know, it should be, if you want to do research on the topics, that's great, but you shouldn't have to do it to play the games. And I think that was a big aspect of it that has changed over time, which I was happy to see. So we had the opportunity to play games from the Resistance series, and you have a different series. Tell us a little bit about the other series that you've produced. Okay, so the Resistance is 
uh, based on, it's a 12 box series and it's based on different resistance movements throughout time. And the premise there is that we are mounting a resistance movement in you know the universe we live in. And we want to teach you, we want to recruit members and teach you about different kinds of resistance. So, you know, do you need to use propaganda? Is it going to be nonviolent? kind of resistance? Is it going to be guerrilla tactics? And so each of the stories has a specific focus, not only on the actual story that, you know, from history, but also on a type of resistance to, to teach you about that. The other series is also a 12-box series, and it's called The Craft, um, and it is based on uh, different folklore and myth from around the world. And so the research we did there was to try and find different stories that were universal in, you know, kind of what, what they speak to of the human experience, but from different areas of the world. So we've got things like, you know, the, a spider god from Africa and a, a kitsune from Japan. So, you know, we, we tried to mix it up and, and go all over the world. Um, and so sometimes we're sending the researchers out into the field to try and, you know, resolve some mystery or help with some problem that someone has called our, you know, center for research. Um, and sometimes we send out, we've got these, you know, old files that we need to cat, you know, catalog and can you help us figure these out and, and, you know, and so that's kind of how the craft works. We really enjoyed the historical narrative aspect of the resistance. What was your inspiration for building games historically? And tell us a little bit about how you do that around difficult topics and time periods. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, when when we started writing The Resistance, um, things were still a little bit more calm politically. And um, it was interesting to watch sort of what was unfolding over time. And but when you go and look at a lot of these things that have happened, these resistance movements, they, they, they're stories. And, you know, if you're getting them in history class, they're super boring stories, right? But that's not really true. You know, the, these people were living their lives and, you know, trying to live the best life that they could. And there was oppression, there was, you know, difficulty. And they said, no, I'm, I'm going to stand up for, you know, my rights and what I need. And I think that those stories are fascinating because they were just regular people, you know, and they said, hey, this is this is not right. This is not how we want to live. And so diving into that, I think, is so interesting. And being able to kind of pull apart people's stories is is what really you know gets me excited about it. And I think that a lot of the the games, the you know escape games out there like this, they're they're murder mystery. You know, solve the mystery. And so we had to be a little more creative than than just, you know, you've got to, you know, track down the killer. 
because these were things that actually happened. And although we did fictionalize some parts of it to, you know, keep it going, um, we didn't contradict anything that actually happened in history. So there was a little bit more of trying to find a balance uh, than, than just, you know, writing a fiction story and having the puzzles just kind of support it and be a fun way to walk people through a story. Going off of what we just asked you, how do you think about puzzle integration into historical pieces? We try to find things that sort of historically fit. You can't always, you'll never be able to always, you know, it's, it's, it's a game, it's a puzzle game. And in order to get enough puzzles in there for it to be a fun experience, you know, sometimes you've got to throw in something that, you know, may not be historically, you know, around at that point. Um, but we do try. Um, and, you know, there, there is, there's one in the craft that is um, the, it's, it's called the Fox, the um, Huntsman and the, and, and it's rock, paper, scissors. You know, but it was historically from that area of the world, and it was sorry about my cat. Um, and it was, uh, you know, an earlier version of the game we know. And so it was fun to incorporate it in a way that was like, wait a minute, I know what that game is. What are you guys talking about, the fox? You know, and so we do definitely try to get at least some puzzles in there that that fit, and. We also, I mean, definitely we try to change the tone and the language to fit the storyline. Um, and I think you'll notice that even more when you play the speakeasy box. Um, and so, you know, having to do the research on the types of slang in the time period or the, the ways that, you know, people would have used language or used, you know, written language, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, we, we definitely try and mirror that up with the, the context of, you know, time and place. What's the future of Madman and Heroes look like? Are we going to add games onto the resistance, onto the craft? Are we talking about new series? Anything that you could tell us that our listeners would love to hear about what's coming out in the future? Well, um, right now, the project that we're working on is going to be a little bit more involved, a little bit higher end product. Um, it's going to be in a book format, um, but it will come with artifacts as well. So it, it'll be a longer play, a uh, whole lot more puzzles. Um, it will be... Uh, focused a little bit more on kind of, you know, supernatural, magical, mystical kind of storyline and been heavy, heavily into research for that for a while now. Um, but, you know, once that is done, definitely the plan is to go back to the, the box format. Um, I think a lot of people really love the resistance um, because it is so different. Um, I think the craft feels a little more like, you know, some of these murder mystery, they're not murder mysteries, but it feels a little more because of the supernatural kind of, you know, and it, it's all fiction stories. And so a lot of people were super psyched about the historical, you know, um, aspect of the resistance. Now, I don't know that I would do another resistance series. I have been thinking about a series on inventors um, and I've just started doing some research on uh, 
female outlaws. Um, and I thought that might be a fun one too. Uh, so, so there's, you know, a lot in play, but, but yeah, first the, the larger piece is going to come out and then we're going to go back to the boxes. And our last question we always ask to everybody is what else are you playing or experiencing? It can be anything, games that are similar, other things. Let us know what else you're involved in right now or looking forward to. Uh, well, you know, I've, I've played pretty much every box out there I could find. Um, I, I haven't done a lot of the higher end ones because I, I just, you know, it's, it's hard for me to spend a couple hundred bucks on a game that I'm going to play once. And that's just me. Um, and I did, I'm super excited, uh, about, uh, I did a trade with the creators of the full deck series. And so I haven't had a chance to sit down with it yet. And it's, it's hard when you're in writing mode, it's so hard to find time to play. Um, and, you know, other than that, uh, I, oh, I did just play, um, box one. And at first I was like, oh, this is lame. Like, really? This, okay, well, and then all of a sudden it was like, bam. And it was like, oh, this is so much fun. This is awesome. So I did have a whole lot of fun with that one. So I, I was very happy because I was like, I do not want to be disappointed with Neil Patrick Harris, you know? <laughs> um, and, but, you know, I do, I, I, you also need to step away, right? It, I can't, I, so I have in the past year, Chicago has a very large community of storytellers. And so, you know, first over Zoom and some in live, you know, in person now, I've been really getting into storytelling. And there's a lot of, you know, it's really interesting. And I guess it goes back to what I was saying about the stories in the resistance. Hearing people's personal experience stories is really fascinating and a really interesting way to kind of, you know, make that connection. Um, and I've tended, for me personally, I've tended toward, in my storytelling, I do a lot of fairy tales and folk tales because I love them and I don't get to do the funny voices in the boxes. Well, Tracy, we just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show today. We had a lot of fun playing your games. We look forward to hopefully playing the craft in the future. If you're interested in Mad Men and Heroes, you can go to Mad Men, that's M-A-D-M-E-N. Not a singular madman, but plural madmen. Madmenandheroes.com. And you can pick up a copy of The Resistance or The Craft. And if you want to leave her a review, you can find her on Facebook, social media. Same thing for us. If you would like to get better acquainted with us, if you would like to help drive forward our mission in our field, please go subscribe to the podcast. Put it on a regular download schedule. Follow as always, you can find us on social media at Puzzling Company, puzzling.company.com. If you're a creator out there and you've got a game coming out or games in the past that we haven't covered yet, please reach out to us, contact at puzzlingcompany.com, and we would love to have a conversation with you about what that looks like. Next week, we are really excited because we are heading back into the world that we've mentioned a few episodes ago, where we're not just going to be talking to creators. We actually have a distributor that we're going to be speaking with, and uh, the game that we're going to be playing is Secret of the Scientist, which if you're familiar with that, is a new game that integrates jigsaw puzzling, which seems to be a hot new trend out there in our puzzling world right now for some of our major companies. And we're going to dig into that game and figure out what it looks like to get this game out and about. But that is all for us today. For Jared and Zach, this is Puzzling Company. Thanks, everybody. See you guys. 
Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been Globe Media Network Podcast.